10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Good evening, welcome. It's Sunday the 21st of May at 8pm. You're here for the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm Wendy Frost and tonight we will be talking about diversity and representation in the drama space and looking at the global majority voices. And we have some special guests tonight, Theo Chambers and Zena Rashid. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on your Sunday evening when teachers are getting ready for school the next morning. Um, So this evening, I have got some great guests that are going to be joining us and talking about the drama classroom and their experiences. I've got Theo Chambers and Zina Rashid who are going to be joining us and sharing some of their experiences teachers as drama teachers in schools. So before we do that, actually, before we jump into that, I like to kind of set the scene a little bit. Maybe it's the drama teacher in me. Um, Set the scene of education at the moment and what it looks like for us all. Um, And so I found some statistics and data. And for a drama teacher, I know some of you might be a bit surprised by that, but we do like to use statistics and data to inform our teaching everything that we do in the room. So some of the data that I was looking at, I wanted to have a look at um, what diversity really means in schools. Uh, What does that look like? What does representation look like? And uh, the figures were not easy to find. But actually, when I did find them, I found them on the government website. Um, And these figures come from the census in November 2021. So they're actually still quite recent. Um, And of these figures that I found this data, it covers school teachers in state-funded schools in England and breaks down ethnicity. Um, Not included in the data, actually, are people like teaching assistants, teachers on contracts of less than a month, so maybe supply would count in that too, I imagine. Um, independent schools, sixth form colleges and further education schools and colleges. So actually, I think we're pretty much talking about primary and secondary state schools in England. Um, Only 91% of respondents to this gave an answer for ethnicity. Um, And I'll start with... um, start with the headlines of this. So the headlines, it's, it tells us that the school workforce, the um, ethnic diversity apparently is increasing across schools, but the teaching workforce still continues to be predominantly female. 
Um, some interesting stuff for us as drama teachers, actually. In three of five teaching hours that are taught, three in five of those teaching hours are spent teaching English, the EBAC subjects, um, of maths, English, science, including computer science, actually, history, geography, and modern languages. Um, so three in five every teaching hours are giving over to the, being given over to the English baccalaureate. Um, a really interesting fact, actually, and I couldn't get more on this, is that it says that entrance, entrance to teaching, so teachers that um, are joining us, new teachers, are going up from last year but it's actually down from pre-pandemic levels. So actually, we, I think a lot of us as teachers might be quite surprised by that to see that this data is telling us that there are more people coming into the profession than leaving. So I might want to question that a little bit as someone who's in and out of schools quite a lot. Um, so some other summary data as we're looking at um, ethnicity, this data talks about, it says in 2021, 85.1% of all teachers in state-funded schools in England were white British. That's, um, I knew it was going to be quite high, but actually that was a little bit higher than even I thought it was. So 85.1% of teachers are white British. Um, it says people from white other ethnic groups make up 3.8% of teachers and 8% of the working age population, so less those teachers are coming into teaching. Um, people from the Indian ethnic group make up 2% of teachers, and white Irish people make up 1.4% of teachers. So the numbers, the figures are, are actually pretty low. Um, so breaking that down a little bit more, if, you ha if I haven't lost you yet with the maths, but it's quite interesting to talk about this when we look at numbers. Of 466,145 teachers who responded to this census, um, 9,508 were Indian, so 2%. 1.3% were Pakistani. 1% were um, identifying as Black African. 1.1% as Black Caribbean, and 0.1% were mixed white and Black African. Then we also have mixed white and Black Caribbean as 0.4%, um, and the Chinese group make up 0.2%. So the figures are incredibly low out of the 466,145 teachers. Um, just a couple more, and I promise I'll stop throwing statistics at you, but these will be really interesting for our guests to talk about, because I know that um, we wanted to talk about um, promotion and what it's like for teachers. So of people that said they were head teachers, there were 20,786 head teachers. 92.5% of that statistic um, belonged to the white British group. So 92.5% of head teachers are white British. Let's break that down a bit more. So we're talking about senior leadership. White British people make up 92.5%, like I said, of head teachers. Then we have 90.8% of deputy head teachers 
87.8% of assistant head teachers. So in terms of senior leadership, we're seeing this huge dominance of um, white British people. Um, and it says then people from Chinese and mixed white and black African ethnic groups make up 0.2% of classroom teachers and around 0.1% of deputy and assistant head teachers. And this is the lowest percentages out all of the ethnic groups identified in this census. Which is, um, yeah, <laughs> a really low number. Um, and just thinking about the head teachers, and then I will, I promise, bring in our very patient guests. Um, in 2021, there were around 20,800 head teachers, like I've said. Over two thirds of those were women. I'm not sure that would be too much of a surprise. Of the 95.7% of female te head teachers counted, they were white. 1.6% of those were white Irish and 1.7% of those were white other. Um, and of the male head teachers, 96.5% of those male head teachers were white. And 1.9% were white Irish and 1.9% were also white other. So I think in terms of when we're looking at representation and teachers in schools, um, and leadership positions in schools, you can see that um, schools are dominated in England by white British teachers um, across the spectrum. So it's important for us to talk about what that might mean, what that looks like um, in the classroom and what that means to our kind of young people around us as well. So that's probably enough from me. I've thrown a lot at you to think about in terms of numbers. I hope you've retained some of those. If not, we might revisit them as we are talking. Um, and I'm, I think I'm just waiting for Zena to find her way into the room. But for the moment, I shall welcome in Theo and say hello to Theo Chambers, who's waiting patiently in the background. Hello, Theo. Hello. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. I'm glad we can all hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And thank yeah, you for really, joining. Really happy to, to be here. Um, really excited. Great. That's um, brilliant. So I threw a lot of stuff at you just then. Um, I don't expect you to have digested much of that. So <laughs> why don't we start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, Theo, and and your your role in your school. What what do you do? What's your current teaching role? Sure. So um, I have a have a background of of drama and theatre, um, and I've been teaching drama in secondary schools for six years. September will mark my seventh year. Currently, I'm based in in London, in the borough of Lambeth, where I'm a head of year alongside a subject of drama. And I'm sort of juggling those two roles, which comes with, you know, its joys and comes with its struggles, as, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Great. So you've got a couple of roles then, haven't you? You're not just a drama. You've got other things going on as well for you. Yeah, the pastoral side for me, I think, is where my, is where my passion lies, I guess, alongside teaching drama. Uh, I, think, think, I think about the members of staff that I remember when I was in school. They tend to be pastoral staff who 
helped to shape who I was, you know, and, and gave me opportunity and helped to grow who I, who, who I then became. So that, that's a passion for me. So you said, did you say seven years you've been teaching now? Yeah, this is the end of the sixth year. September okay. will mark, mark the seventh. Wow. And how's that gone? Because you've then been teaching through a pandemic um, and the massive changes that's been going on like generally in education. So that's that's six years of kind of a, a rocky settling into your career, isn't it? Yeah, it really has been quite rocky. Uh, the pandemic was quite surreal. Um, who would have envisioned <laughs> teaching online and a practical subject like drama and trying to keep up, you know, our young people enthused and, and engaged uh, through virtual means was tough and, and it really tested um everything that i know about teaching and i it was about sort of like inventing the will almost um and, and and that was that was such an experience but what coming out of that experience what i learned is that um you know drama is just so valuable to, to our young people and and it goes far beyond you know getting in the space and and, and playing some games you know it's really about building connections it's about testing ourselves uh you know pushing the boundaries thinking outside the box and seeing the young people engage with that even online was quite surreal as well yeah so you would have had a few years of teaching I'm going to say normally I'm doing air quotes you obviously can't see that but teaching you know in a kind of normal situation and then just as you've really kind of found your feet and confident with that suddenly the world is just upside down yeah, I had a couple of years and I was teaching in, in a Lewisham school um, and that was good fun. And and almost overnight, <laughs> we're, we're all at home locked up. So, <laughs> so, yeah, if you like, this is the latter end of, of working through that and, and exploring that. And I'm um, very much happy to be, you know, in the classroom again. Definitely. Yeah. And I think as drama teachers, we are, aren't we, really? We like we like being around young people, <laughs> being in the same room as them. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's just, you know, one of those opportunities to really kind of watch young people grow. I mean, I look at maybe a young person that I might take on a GCSE in year 10 and, and watching maybe how timid or anxious or shy they are. Um, and by the end of the course, you know, at the end of year 11, often there's huge marginal gains and just those things that I mentioned, like confidence. Um, and, and that's always exciting. Yeah. And I think, um, I think we might just be getting, um, Zena into the room just give me a moment you know some sometimes this takes a little bit longer hello Zena are you there with us hello can you hear me yes we can hear you oh that's amazing that was very <laughs> exciting <laughs> I think it's it's technical stuff isn't it we, we're not well I don't know about you you might be amazing at technical stuff but me absolutely all the time <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thea's been keeping us, us all entertained and warm while we just waited for you to get into the room. Oh, hello, Theo. Hello. How's it going? Very good, thank you. I can see why you didn't recognise me. My name is um, quite just a collection of consonants. Of, of letters, yes. Exactly. Sorry about that. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's, a, it's technical stuff, don't worry. Um, so now you have joined us. Um, Theo's told us a little bit about himself and his current role and, and what he does. Why don't you do that with us so we can 
get to know you a little bit too. Okay, so uh, stop me if, if I yatter on too long. Um, so I've been teaching for about 20 odd years. Um, I didn't go into it um, in a sort of directional and purposeful way. I kind of happened. I went to teach in Sri Lanka after I graduated with a TEFL and, a, you know, a sort of still wet off the printer uh, <laughs> graduation and um, ended up teaching in an international school. And, and really liked it, actually, surprised myself, taught Sen, taught English, taught TEFL, and then taught some drama. Um, and then I applied to Homerton and did my teacher qualification. Um, and then in that time since then, I've taught in Peterborough, uh, in a school in North Sheffield, um, and I'm currently in a school near Barnsley, and I've done all sorts of things. I worked full time until quite recently. Um, and I was head of drama, head of faculty, second in faculty, uh, did pastoral roles, was associate assistant head, but currently I'm just a drama teacher, um, three and a half days a week and I'm at college and I do some stuff for lung theatre and for national drama, which is how I know you. So yeah, that's me. Yes. My gosh, you have like probably been around all over the world and different oh, places. Old, quite old, quite old. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. So no, I definitely <laughs> wasn't going to say that. But you can say that if you want to. <laughs> but yeah, wow. I didn't realise you'd been teaching in different places like that. Yes. That's amazing. What did that bring to you, teaching, uh, you know, overseas and stuff? How does that made a difference to you? Um, I mean, t I was young and teaching in an international school I mean, at least then it was kind of in the 1990s um, was, I mean, it was joyous. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it was fantastic. The, te the, the kids were another level, you know, they were diplomats, children. And um, right. I taught in one sort of, they called it a local international school, which meant it was English medium. Uh, kids there, and it was a primary school, actually. So all the kids called me auntie. And I didn't know who they were talking oh. to for about two days. I kept looking around, expecting relatives to be behind me, but they were talking to me. Uh, no, so it was it was brilliant. Yeah, I taught kids from all over the world, but they were all very, you know, they were they were sort of um, politicians and prime ministers and CEOs' children. Um, yeah, we. I mean, yeah, we went to the beach every weekend. It was marvelous. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was a bit and of a shock coming back to teaching. I was going to say. my teach training in Braintree. <laughs> I was going to say, it's slightly different now then for Just you. Just a little imagine. bit. I mean, not that much different, obviously. <laughs> Beach all weekend. Oh, my word. We didn't oh. know we were born. <laughs> Being young and teaching. Absolutely. Let's not, um, let's not scare off Theo. He's only been teaching for seven years, so we don't want to, you know, scare him off from <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about um, yourselves if and, you know, share as much as you want to or as little as you want to, both of you. Um, a little bit about your background. It might be your family, where you're from, where your family's from, influences, any of that, if that's okay. Theo, do you want to yeah, give us a little absolutely. bit, if you don't mind? I think mine is uh, probably a, a little bit less interesting than Zida's. Uh, born and bred Londoner. Um, born in in Southwark, um, St Thomas's Hospital, uh, went to school, was very much interested in, in drama and, and engaged in a lot of um, outside extracurricular type drama things. Um, 
went on to university and initially I, I left uh, sixth form with the intention to study film and TV. So I did that and that was really good fun. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. But somewhere in between second and third year, I had a little bit of an epiphany. Uh, and I felt like I was um, almost parting from drama in a way that I didn't want to. Mm. So I decided to explore the, the world of teaching and work out if that was for me. So I did a year of carpet supervisor in the trenches. Um, right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that was fairly interesting. Um, and I kind of made a decision from there, almost my first or second day in the school, actually. This is where I think I need to be. When we go and talk about legacy and what we want to achieve and what we want to leave behind, that was the moment for me where I felt, actually, yeah, this is where I need to be. And drama was my mechanism to do that. Did you have um, any family members that became teachers? Were you, like, the first? How was it for your family? No, my my dad was a financial advisor. My mom uh, was, a, was a business consultant. So, no, nothing... <laughs> nothing of the type I'm, um, I'm bucking the trend as they say right so you were the first one to to start waving the flag for teachers then yeah I think so and I think one of the influences in my life I've got a family friend uh, who um, is very well known in in the UK drama world I think in the TV world name is Ashley Walters and he did a lot for me in terms of you know I shadowed him went on uh, film shoots and TV shoots and I learned a lot about the industry from that end, and I was able to work out what I wanted from, from drama, from the industry, and um, and teaching was 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 my go-to. Wow. Well, that that's a lot more interesting than you <laughs> gave us to expect. <laughs> You're hanging out on right. film sets. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was quite surreal. I, I soon learned that I'm not sure that the film set life is for me, but yeah. um, um, I think two of my passions obviously is drama and the other is you know young people young people development so my role currently now doing the pastoral doing doing you know drama and, and helping young people who are interested in drama to grow their skill set I think is perfectly placed for, for all the things I want to accomplish in, in the world of teaching. Great thank you. Um, Zena do you want to tell us a little bit about your background family influences that's kind of yeah thing. of course uh, Theo that sounds amazing um uh yeah amazing uh, you sound like you had goals you know you're quite clear-headed i think i was um i sort of fell into things i think and then realized i liked them afterwards um yeah i don't think i had that sense of purpose you know some people when they're 14 they know where they're going i didn't really. i just knew i really loved drama at school so my uh, my family were very um doctor lawyer engineer uh, although neither of my parents were either of those. My mum was a midwife and a surgery nurse and my dad did sort of um, different sort of financial and admin jobs. Um, he's all, he, I mean, he always worked. Uh, um, and my school was unusual in that it offered drama and I absolutely loved it. So I don't think I'd have had the opportunity to know what it was at all if not for my secondary school, um, which was a kind of, it had, it was a little bit liberal. It was a little bit artistic. Um, it had a, you know, a, the head teacher was a musician. Um, so it had a different approach to all the other schools in the area. Um, and I, uh, I just, yeah, I loved, I, and I went to 
see all the plays that I could. There was in, it was in Hemel Hempstead, so not the cultural epicenter of the universe, but they had an excellent local theatre. And I just saw everything I could and end up getting a job there. Um, yeah, and I made a complete pig's ear of my A-levels. And so me and my friend, so I couldn't get into drama college on that which is what I wanted to do. And my parents were very ambivalent about it. You know, they, they were like, what on earth are you thinking? You could do something <laughs> useful and, you know, you've got a brain while you're doing drama. And that, what upsets me, uh -huh. I think one of the things that upsets me is that the things I used to hear in the 1980s still are sort of there in the, you know, just underneath, or just like not even underneath the surface. They're sort of in our cultural landscape loud and clear. And I think, how has that how has that happened how have we not made progress there mm. you know how are we still thinking so wrongly and so ignorantly about such a brilliant subject that's full of opportunities for all children um whether they you know whatever their sort of wherever they are on entry you know it, it's it's just that everyone should have access and entitlement and a right like they should have a right to maths and chemistry you know um and music and everything else uh so so me and my friend um set up a theater company um and we did we did day jobs and we were on the starship enterprise allowance scheme that's how long ago it was and we went we went all over the country doing open spots and little shows and uh and that got me and i ran like a theater like a youth theater company and we were in a women's group. We did sort of, we wrote our own shows with this group of amazing women. They're just, just kind of amateur. Um, and that got me into Bretton Hall. <laughs> so that was my, oh, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so it, was, so it wasn't this sort of focused straight arrow of a route yeah. uh, at all. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like mine. I took some time out and did a few different things. Worked in a chocolate shop. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, it wasn't. I ate so much chocolate. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I did a bunch of strange things. I kept my hand in theatre, but yeah. I wasn't like, it wasn't my goal to start with. And then when it was, that was it. There was no stopping me. But I kind of floated around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it can take a while to, to get there. And I think like you're saying that sometimes the encouragement of that, it just isn't there. You know, well, it was very different, you know, even at, even at school, although they offered drama, it was still a bit of an outlier. And the kids who did drama, um, you know, we were still sort of a little bit sidelined, you know, we, 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 were, the, we were the eccentric kids. We weren't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we were a little bit creative. We were a little bit eccentric. We possibly wore strange makeup. Um, yeah. uh, and we had, we had a fact, you know, and, and they gave us that space. I suppose, to tell stories, to perform. And we were confident there, but then doing it outside of that space, that was another thing. You know, we, I didn't, I don't think I knew you could do a drama degree until yeah. I was about 16. I didn't know there was such a thing. And then I, I got a book out of the library about different degrees you could do and it blew my mind. So I think I was quite, you know, small town girl. Yeah, sometimes I knew you could be a doctor and I knew you could be a lawyer and a nurse. And, you know, mum and said teaching was yeah. good for women because you'd be home by three o'clock for the children, which put me right off. 
Um, yeah, that's off the cellar, isn't it? You'll you'll get <laughs> well, I'm home. I'm not doing that. That sounds terrible. I was like, but also, I don't ever know a teacher that's ever left school at three o'clock. <laughs> well, so that that go. was just a lie. So from the beginning, <laughs> they were lying. I think. <laughs> uh, Theo, do you want to tell us a little bit about when you were taking drama at school? Did you take drama at school yourself? How did that work? Yeah. Um... Like like Zena, I went to a school who uh, that that offered drama, uh, and that was great for me. I was probably naturally not as academic as I should have been, so mm-hmm. music, drama, dance were all GCSEs that I took and <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I can't rave that I'm an excellent dancer now, but I try my best. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and drama for me was just you know a really exciting realm to be creative that alongside music so I, um, I play a few instruments keys bass guitar and and both of those in tandem for me you know would I was just in my element uh, studying GCSE went really well for me I think I enjoyed it I um, kind of uh, I'm, I think I'm naturally shy person I think about primary school I'm probably naturally shy um, but but GCSE really for me was one of those moments where I found my voice I, I grew in a little bit more confident um uh, my friendship group probably grew a little bit you know off the back of that and that was that was handy for me went on to study that at a level and superseded my expectations and did very well um and you know uh drama a levels you know one of the few grades where i can say i've, I've got an a star in you know a's for me were never a thing i kind of mm. always struggled academically so you know i quickly found that yes this is my bag this is something i can do very well at, and it's actually something i enjoy um, so yeah, that's, that's my story. It's really interesting, though, when we we say academic quite a lot about subjects. I know that's kind of like legacy subjects, but the GCSEs and the A levels that we teach now in drama are absolutely academic in every way. It's you know we look at them now and we can talk about percentages of written work as opposed to the practical work, and you know it, it's practically they're all practically theatre studies GCSEs and A-levels now aren't they you can see that on lots of teacher chat groups that it's not anything like probably you know the two of you and myself took when we did school ourselves it's a whole new world absolutely and um, I, I kind of reference it a drama as a pracademic subject so yes there are practical yeah. elements to it but but you know especially my GCSE course and my A-level course you know, there's huge amount of theory, uh, theory work. You know, seventy um, percent in the course that we run at, at yeah. the school I work at, um, and um, yeah, it, it is tough. And quite often, you know, in schools where where senior leadership are allocating who who studies what subjects, you know, we drama is one of those subjects that often might get students who didn't know what to pick or weren't very interested in anything else, and they they are in for a culture shock when they realise that seventy percent of the GCSE is yeah. based on their ability to theorize things you know yeah yeah absolutely and that's why we have to have those conversations with students but i'm definitely you said pracademic and i've not heard that before and i and i love it <laughs> pracademic <laughs> yeah you absolutely it is but yeah I, it is that practical but written it almost Absolutely. is right, but it's almost like academic needs to go first because that's where all of the time is spent, isn't it? But absolutely, yeah. that I think you just made a new word, Theo. <laughs> I must confess, <laughs> I, I, I did get that word from Maureen, Maureen Ferry. 
Oh, but, um, I yeah, think you should have took it, it and we'd have all gone with that. I know, <laughs> but you made right? up academic. <laughs> but, no, but it's, it's so interesting in, in, in the same fashion that, you know, practical is always marrying up with a theory and vice versa and they're so interlinked. Yeah. You know, you can't take one without the other. Yeah, no, you can't. And And as whole human beings, to separate our practical bodies from our cognitive processes is ridiculous to try and do that because we're you know as drama teachers we know don't we we're whole-bodied humans and our brains and our bodies work together and if you try and separate one from the other it it kind of quite quickly starts to fall apart I think and we can see that in our drama spaces can't we absolutely couldn't agree more yeah anything to say about that Zena in terms of the, the yeah I, I just think that that, that um we, we love, as a society, we love pigeonholes, don't we? Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've never quite, uh, this is, I suppose, over the last 100, 200 years, we've never, there's always been a tension around what education is for. Mm. Um, and, you know, for me, that's kind of a, an issue for drama because obviously... I wrote an article about this um, ages ago, but it's it is academic. It's one of you know. I think it's as it's got all the an, an analysis and content and canon, and connection making and description and evaluation of history and English literature. It's got you know if you're doing a verbatim or a research based devised piece, you need to have a real deep understanding of a political issue, of the data, of the stats, of how the data can lie, of opinion, of interpretation. Mm-hmm. But you've also got to have the physical and technical skills of uh, what I suppose the old guard would wrongly, in my view, call practical. And by practical, there's some sort of hidden meaning in that meaning you just have to do it, not think about it. Yeah, but actually, yeah. that is not true. You know, and I don't think it's true in PE or music or I either, actually. It's almost like somebody um, undermined the, the ability to make a choice about what kind of mark you make on a page. That's an academic, thoughtful, you know, decision with a purpose. But not only do you need to do that, you also need to do it. So you do have to work as a team in team sports, but at least they follow the same rules every game. But in drama, you have to do all that with a group of people. So you have to have pretty high level collaboration, decision making, problem solving skills of, you know, listening and being articulate and saying what you mean and trusting where you don't know, which I think grown ups find very difficult. Never mind children, you know, that process of being able to hold the unknowable. Mm, yeah, you know, the uncertainty of where the devising or the interpretation is going to hold that uncertainty and make progress. So, you know, for me, drama is one of those subjects where you really have a go, an opportunity to practice an enormous amount of skills that are physical, emotional, academic, visceral, you know, intellectual and collaborative in a really quite meaningful way when you're just 15 mm-hmm. or yeah. 12, even, you know, if you're lucky enough to have it at key stage three. Yeah. So I, I do think we've had some bad press from 
strategic leaders who didn't really know what they were talking about, possibly, in the nicest possible way, and didn't sort of find out. You know, maybe they were basing it on what they did at school or a play that they'd seen or when they did drama at the school show. Do you know what I mean? People have extrapolated in that way that we're all experts in education if we've been to school, but that isn't actually quite right. <laughs> well, that's what I mean? saying. You're all experts I had... in drama if you've been in a year six show or you've watched the telly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like saying, well, I watched an episode of, you know, Casualty on TV, so now I can do an operation, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> I mean, imagine. That, that's not really how it works, is it? In, in every sense, to be honest. So, yeah, it's... I mean, it's it's a tr it's a tricky time, but I think as drama teachers, we've experienced that for quite a long time, haven't you? This doesn't feel mm. it doesn't feel new. It feels different, but it doesn't feel new. Um, and the struggles that we're going through, you know, post pandemic, as we started mm. talking about with Theo at the beginning, just in terms of general teaching, mm. uh, you know, numbers and students trying get back into drama and think about all those key skills that they need to be in our rooms has taken a real hit not just because of cuts because of the pandemic it's um we've suffered massively the last few years really and it's uh, it feels like a different struggle to the ones that we've known for a while I suppose yeah and I, I think I think that's I think that's right I think is it 36 percent from drop and since 2010 yeah. you know yeah. so we were omitted from the national curriculum in the 80s then there was this sort of time uh, where creativity mattered and children you know every child mattered and arts and creativity mm -hmm. in the curriculum and then that but we still weren't a foundation subject no um but then i think the 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 e-back and the you know, Darren Henley wrote a brilliant report in 2012, which was completely shelved. Um, so, I mean, this is interesting because Jeff Redman, who's the chair of National Drama, um, I mean, it was brilliant. He was invited to to speak at um, the 11 to 16 uh, curriculum committee. You know, um, and he and he sort of talked about uh, he, he talked about um, why is it still marginalised and undermined in the hierarchy of subjects? And that was actually in uh, Drama and Theatre magazine or something. So, mm. you know, so this is it, it's kind of it's kind of that it's it's what we do about it, I suppose. Yeah, it's what we do about it now with with that passion and that belief that education forms lives on any level that education that is actually genuinely broad and balanced and includes drama is better than education without, I, I believe. You know, I really believe that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think it, it feels like there's another set of changes coming. I'm not quite sure what they are. I don't think anybody really knows what they are, but mm. the, the tide is turning generally for education, I think, in lots of ways. And I'm kind of constantly fingers crossed that some of that starts swinging back to thinking about the arts and the and the role that that plays holistically in young people's development and and the enjoyment of education as well I think which is massively underestimated for young people. Um let's think a little bit now about um representation in schools and 
and what what that looks like, what that might be like, and and what that's like maybe around you know the two of you in your schools and who you see around you in terms of global majority representation and are there school leaders around you who might who might be role models for you as teachers in school and and the students in their rooms and Theo do you have any thoughts on that yeah it's, it's actually quite interesting for me as well um I I work in in a Lambeth school and in, in the school that I work at we have a huge amount of uh, black African slash black Caribbean students, um, something like 85%. So a huge, huge amount. Wow. Um, and representation of maybe uh, black Caribbean staff in the school, you know, is, is nothing, nothing similar to that. And that goes back to mm. the stats that you mentioned at the beginning of, of, of the show, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole idea that, you know, um, uh, global majority... Um, teachers are, are heavily and massively un, underrepresented in our schools, so I guess that makes sense alongside the stats. Um, I think I think moving moving forward and, and and alongside you know the data that you kind of presented previously, we are seeing growth and gains, and that's always great. Um, and I hope that you know part of me deciding to to kind of become a teacher and and work in the types of schools that I have was to kind of show you know the young people that, that that I teach that you know obviously there are many careers you can go in and obviously you can go in whatever fashion you know your interests take you but this is what being a young male black drama teacher and I don't know that I've seen one before in my in my time um looks mm -hmm. like you know and if that's something that you want to do um then absolutely you can do that absolutely yeah, and I suppose, and it's really important to have those role models, isn't it? It's when you've got, when you said, what, 85% of um, black African and black Afro-Caribbean as well? Is is that kind of the breakdown, do you think, Theo? And, and around them, all that they have is maybe you to come into their classrooms. And that's that's not really going to encourage um, them to want to become teachers generally, is it? It doesn't really seem like a pathway that is open to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's there's so many things to consider and so many forces at play here. I think Zina mentioned earlier on in the show that she was very much encouraged by mum and dad to consider, you know, a particular type of job, maybe a doctor or an engineer or similar. Yeah. And um, I think for me, in, in my upbringing, that wasn't the case, or at least not from my mum anyway. My mum was very much um, happy for me to engage in whatever made me happy, uh, you know, as long as I was enjoying it and, and I, you know, I was making games and I was happy with it myself. My dad was probably a little bit more studious and wanted me to be, be some sort of lawyer or similar. Uh, and, and that could possibly be the story of our young people, you know, where, mm. whereby their, their parents might be encouraging them to... to particular types of careers and I can imagine the impact that might have on the decisions they make or their interests or even what they're exposed to you know yeah I think it's also you know gosh we're in a cost of living crisis apparently so <laughs> I think part of that as well is um that the arts and drama are not seen as viable careers to make money or not to make a lot of money anyway so alongside that that must be what parents are also having you know in terms of discussions um with their with their children about 
being able to pay the rent and eat and you know and those things affecting their life choices yeah I think that's maybe where um sorry is it all right if I butt in yeah no go on yeah yeah I think I think there's something there about about our leaders and how you know are, do, are we representing the so Nicola Heitner's just written this really interesting uh, sort of article where he talks about you know what the arts council is for and community mm. arts and taking money out of London and re, you know in the regions and yeah, but yeah. but what is kind of if we see the arts as um, elitist and only for children who go to a certain kind of school come from a certain kind of background we are doing a massive disservice to all the children in our that come through all our schools because yeah. you know for me and um my i had a million more opportunities than my mum and dad easily um but even then i i only would have found drama through my school through my secondary school if it wasn't there i wouldn't have found it it wasn't available to yeah. me it needed a teacher to say i'm taking a school trip and my mom went well if there's a teacher going of course you can go you know, so it, the, there's something about, but how are we, you know, are we um, showing children that they are makers, they are storytellers, they're not just consumers, that they are critics and judges and cultural commentators, they're, they're in it, they make it, you know, we, we, we don't live in a fixed world, we live in a massively plural changing world and they've got to navigate all that and, you know, a great education in which they they have access to the arts this is really important to you by the happy confident company sorry that was a technical thing well, that's, that's all right <laughs> uh, so he sort of talks about the creativity of each of us which the, the, the arts council really wants the champion like so everyone has access but it's difficult when the arts have been stripped he says uh, the arts, the creativity must be nurtured without the help of schools from which the arts have been ruthlessly stripped. Mm. You know, so that's and that, that's Nicholas Heitner, who you know has a has a national view. He's got a huge platform. So there is something about in order to you know, it's not going to make every child a writer and a composer, but you in order just to make a functioning society, we have to give our children access to these opportunities. Yeah. So that so that we can represent ourselves and live our lives and, you know, manage all of that. And and that having a great drama education helps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally. It does. Do you mind if I just tag on wow. to that as well? Yeah, oh, of course. Please do. Um, yeah, I was listening to Zena's speech just there and, and you mentioned the word access. And I think for me that encompasses everything that drama is. It's access. Yes. It's mm. access to, you know, confidence, it's access to storytelling, it's access to being creative, it's access to having empathy, you know, all these really important life skills. So that one important, needs to, Theo, yeah. To be successful, you know, that is drama. And, and, and it's quite heartbreaking, really, when we have these discussions from maybe politicians or school leaders who don't really have an idea uh, about how instrumental our subject is in building up the individual, building up the person, ensuring mm. that they're successful. Um, so for me, you know, all, all the time and every moment and every second that I can, I'm champion, I'm championing, championing that, you know, the, the idea that drama is the centre of, of everything we grow our lives upon. 
Yeah, and that's that's a really lovely way to put it as well. That you know, I think for a lot of us, um, drama is the centre. And if we think back, that's much of the reason why. Well, it's the reason why we're here talking right now. But I'm sure we could all pick lots and lots of students and people that we know that have had their lives changed because mm. of their relationship with drama. But not just going into the world as actors and writers and directors no. and stuff, but just having a much richer life and a lifelong love of of the arts and, and engaging with culture, I think, in a different way. Yes, yes. And that you doesn't can, happen, you know, does absolutely. it? If you don't have that kind of exposed to you as a child in school, it doesn't happen naturally unless you it's maybe have that cultural capital, it? isn't it? And, yeah. and maybe some of those schools that you were sort of, indicating Tina that you know those schools that do value drama and have studios and technicians I mean imagine that technicians and and you know go on lots of trips and that kind of cultural capital then just becomes part of choices because it's something that is bred into a young person as they're growing up yeah absolutely absolutely I think that that access and equality of opportunities is key isn't it yeah. Um, so, yeah. and how we and in, in how we see ourselves, and how we tell our stories, and how we are, yeah, empathy is such an important word, and mm-hmm. how we understand difference, and how we understand togetherness, and massively important, you know, our cultural identity, and our place in the world. So, I'm I'm not saying that um, other subjects don't do this as well they do but I can't I've never seen a sensible reason why we're left out no and I think you're absolutely right there's never been a reason for that no yeah so there's something about you know when you're talking about representation you know when I saw Mira Sayal and goodness gracious me you know my heart Mm. leapt it was wonderful but but actually the teacher who taught me at school was a you know middle-aged um white lady who I think had trained as an art teacher who sort of had to do it and but that so it didn't it didn't mean that I had to be taught by somebody who looked like me but because she gave me those tools I could look around you know find Kush Jumbo or we were talking about Ryan Cameron Calais weren't we and Mm. you know so when I went to uni I did my dissertation on representation of gender and ethnicity or something and it, it kind of planted the seeds And now I think before, you know, it has to be in the school curriculum for all young people to start buying into it. And then when they become parents, they'll be so much more educated to think, of course, you should do music and drama and maths and chemistry and everything. It doesn't mean you're going just because you do maths, you're going to be an accountant, but everyone should know about maths. Yeah. And I think what you've touched on there a little bit ties to what um Theo was saying that about representation that what's really interesting I think is that you said it didn't matter to you that that you know was a white older lady who was an arts person and 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 I wonder if the world has changed so much now that that representation is crucial for young people of you know global majority upbringing that having someone around you that is a role model to help you to to start navigating your way through your own your own personal story, which is what we we touched on, which Theo started talking about mm. as well. So 
So Thea, what do you think about that in terms of how, I mean, how times have changed and that that representation is different now, or isn't it? Yeah, I think I think representation is such such a um, an, an interesting thing, um, and and I guess I use my my current school uh, for, for context. I can imagine how it might be or feel to be a young person in my current school uh, and have an interest in something, but not see yourself in that thing. And I think what's really beautiful beautiful about you know the direction we're headed as as a, as a global movement, you know, we're we're, we're headed towards you know, representation that being a bit more even, you know, leveling the playing field. And, and I hope that in years to come, young people in, in schools across every walk of life can see themselves in the industries they, they mm. dream to be in. And, 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 it's, and I think it's about, I think, I think it was Ina that said earlier, um, you know, creating opportunity, you know, if you don't see something, you might not know it's possible. Um, and just ensuring that that level of cultural capital is available for every student. Yeah, and I th- yeah, and I think that's that's hugely important. Is that once you see your, yourself represented somewhere, and I can only speak of this as as a woman and not you know a, a global majority person, that suddenly that becomes an option for you. Mm. That something that maybe you wouldn't have considered a choice anymore. And I think we could, you know, not going off track, but we can see that in terms of female football, can't we? Girls in football now, whereas you know Fabulous. five or six yeah. years ago. Girls wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be seen dead in that, in, you know, the kit and getting sweaty and there was no one to look up for to. And then suddenly we win something huge and women, it is an option now and a serious option and it will be taken seriously in sports as well as schools. Yeah, so that, 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 yeah, absolutely. I think there's something, isn't there, that when from i mean i remember in the, the kind of out of the anti-racist movements and the there was a kind of multicultural approach which could easily be misunderstood as a the mainstream block culture does a little taster session of other cultures that aren't quite as important you know it was a bit saris and samosas do you remember that in the <laughs> 80s and 90s and you'd have like a diversity day oh god so i think we've moved away from that and you know i am so I think people like Benjamin Zephaniah, Mira Sayal, mm. um, who started Tallowa Theatre. Oh, when you got, I've forgotten a name. And Tamasha. Oh, okay. And you yeah. know, those, uh, Sita Brahmacherry, Sita Brahmacherry, and all those people, Phoenix Dance. Yes. You know, those people um, have changed for the better our cultural landscape, but it's about mm. normalising and it's about and something about genuine inclusion that isn't that is properly representative and not just sort of token now yeah. we're going to have a go at yeah. um i don't know you know uh, now we're going to in 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 ethiopia they do this theater and you know i, I or or that if you cut if you come across peggy mcintosh no so peggy mcintosh is a joy and uh talks about um not making you know thinking about experiences that are um that uh that give you opportunity so so are you making the person in your classroom uh, representative so you know sort of kimberly so the she talked about having a rucksack of privilege 
which you don't even know you have until mm. you start unpacking it. She's really worth looking at. Um, so he talks it a privilege checklist. It's a little bit humanities and it's in the 1980s. So things like, um, do you imagine that the one different person can speak for all the people of their group? So if you had, I don't know, in a, um, if you were in an old fashioned grammar school and there was one scholarship person, would you imagine that scholarship person could speak for the entire working class? Or if you have one Asian child in your class, do you, ex do you expect her to speak for every single Asian, yeah. <laughs> you know, from the, from the sort of whether they were from Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or India, whatever, you know, that's, you know, are you, are you oblivious of the language of, of any other person? Do you kind of go, if you, if you're looking for the person in charge, do you assume it'll be of a certain gender and a certain race? And she sort of unpacks it in a beautiful way. It's Peggy McIntosh. Everybody should read her. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, and Kimberly Crenshaw's work follows straight on from that about seeing culture as plural and fluid and not a hierarchy, not a monolith. You know, yeah. it isn't white culture is normative and other cultures are great to wear a different outfit for a day and bang a funny drum. You know, but actually as important and uh, equal and valid and interconnected and um, and looking at looking at things critically. It's really important we think about power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In a safe yeah. way. I don't mean in a sort of, you know, scary way. Yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, I get it. And it is that kind of critical thinking aspect of it, isn't it? It's so and important. It's so much fun. You know, it, people like Theatre Centre do it brilliantly. You know, they yeah, yeah, they yeah. break down these boundaries and assumptions and stereotypes in, you know, is it Charlie? I can't remember their name either. Charlie um, Birds and the Bees performance or Human Nurture. Just, and it's really accessible and it's um, written with lots and lots of research with young people. Mm. Um, and, you know, theatre companies like that are, Fantastic, just fantastic. It's funny you mention uh, Charlie Josephine's Birds and the Bees. That's that, it. That's actually uh, a set text that I'm using for my GCSE groups. Oh, brilliant. And it's just so exciting. Truly amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. We had them in, come in and we had them perform a live performance at the theatre centre and it was just so surreal. Um, wow. And what you know, it again, Theo, say what that is again. Oh, Birds and the Bees. Oh, okay, great. Birds and the Bees by Charlie Josephine, directed okay. by a chap called Rob Watts, I believe. Yeah, um, Rob and, Watts. And, yeah. Yeah. and for us, you know, we have a, like I said, the school is, although hugely populated with black African, black Caribbean um, students, we have a huge uh, amount of students that might identify as, as, as LGBTQ or are considering, mm. you know, gender assignment and what that means for them and, and you know, their lives. And, and for us, it was, we could really see that, you know, the light bulb moment for our students that, wow, you know, other people feel the things I do, you know, I'm not alone. Oh, oh, I didn't know that was a, you know, a thing and that was achievable. For a so job. For us, it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So we, we'll carry on talking about um, representation and, and, and what you choose in your curriculum, because you've led nicely into that, Theo, about what you choose in your curriculum to help with that representation. But we'll just take a moment to um, have a listen to the 
teachers talk radio news and actually some of what we've been talking about is echoed really nicely in that so we'll be back in a sec our clinically approved ready to go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school to find out more visit us at www.happyconfident.com This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC features a story on the lack of guidance for teachers and schools on the issue of how to support transgender pupils. The article on the news website highlights the fact that the government first promised guidance for schools in relation to transgender more than five years ago but the Department for Education is only due to publish this term. The piece has been written by the LGBT correspondent and the LGBT producer, and it outlines the difficulty they have had finding schools who are willing to talk about transgender policies, describing it as almost impossible. They say the BBC contacted head teachers across England, but almost all were too anxious to be interviewed on camera unwilling to draw attention to their schools or pupils who identify as trans or non-binary. Most head teachers who did respond to questions said that without guidance, schools were left to make their own decisions, with some saying this left them in a no-win situation and fearing that whatever they did, they would be criticised or even vilified. One head teacher did say that the schools wanted guidance and advice to help ensure they were making decisions in the best interests of the child. The article also referenced survey tool Teacher Tap, which had asked almost 7,000 teachers about their experiences of supporting transgender pupils. About 8% of primary school teachers said they taught trans or non-binary pupils, compared to 75% of teachers in secondary. Just over half said they were not very or not at all confident about next steps to take if a child said they wanted to change their name, pronouns or aspects of their appearance. The guidance is expected to address these issues, as well as the issue of how to involve parents if a child wishes to identify as a gender different to their birth sex, and what to do if a parent disagrees. When BBC News spoke to parents, it was also difficult to find a view everyone agrees with, and parents were also reluctant to speak on record. Some told the BBC they did not want any decisions made without their approval, but others wanted schools to put their child's choices first. It is expected that the Department for Education will publish a draft for consultation prior to final guidance being issued, perhaps highlighting how sensitive the issue is. It is likely the guidance will cover legal obligations for single-sex schools and whether schools should inform parents if their child is questioning their gender. It may offer advice on residential trips and single-sex sports. The DfE has said that the overriding principle would be that the well-being and safeguarding of children was paramount. After last week's online storm over the key stage 2 SATS reading paper, the content of the test has finally been published. It has been reported across media outlets that children had been in tears, some staff had to really think about the answers and parents were annoyed at the stress peels faced whilst the DfE said the SATS papers were rigorously trialled. The main concerns were over the test's complexity and length, 
although this spread into debate about the purpose of SATs overall. Details of the test can be found on the Standards and Testing Agency website. In Wales, a plan for a million Welsh speakers by 2050 is said likely to fail without a substantial increase in teachers speaking the language. This is according to a Welsh Government report which focuses on the drop in the number of Welsh speakers since their census in 2011. The 2021 census also found a decrease in the number of children and young people able to speak the language. The Welsh Government funds training programmes for those who want to learn or improve their Welsh, who are teachers in schools in Wales. Finally, the BBC covers a story on words and phrases the public would like to see banned. It followed a tweet by Countdown Susie Dent in which she asked which words people would like to see banished from the dictionary. Top of the list was the phrase going forward, followed by the other phrase no disrespect but. Word like when used as a filler word and the expression I'm not going to lie. The list also featured my personal bugbear, sentences that begin with so. Dent used it as an opportunity to explore aspects of the English language and how some phrases which seem modern have actually been around for a long time. Details of the full top 10 are available on the BBC News website. So, going forward, I'm not going to lie, this has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm considering how easy it is to get distracted when researching on the internet. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a young person and I've set myself a task of writing a report on the greatest invention of all time. I'm also not going to use ChatGPT. So, my first online search shows a lot of people claim the wheel is the greatest invention. And let's face it, there are a lot of them around. There are 9 million bicycles in Beijing. And that's a fact. That's 18 million wheels just on bikes in one city. If we assume nobody has a tricycle. This led me to want to know how many bicycles there are in the world. The answer I found was an estimated 1 billion. That's 2 billion wheels, again assuming nobody has a tricycle. Now I want to know how many wheels are there in the world. Another search tells me there's an estimated 37 billion, 24 of these billion being toys, and the next biggest share of 8.4 billion being on cars. A quick scan of the results page poses an additional question I hadn't considered. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? Well, I simply have to know. In a few clicks, I find out it's estimated there are 48 billion doors in the world. So based on this research, there are more doors and isn't a door a great invention? Yet it's not been proposed as one in my prior searches. And if there are that many doors, how many hinges must there be? The amazing thing about the internet is that there's always an answer. And the way search engines deliver those answers are designed to keep you interested and active. So potentially you see more ads and make them more money, which doesn't help get that report written, does it? Does your school teach young people how to research effectively? Do our young people realise how much they are advertised at? I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, when I get in touch at TC Radio Official, I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so we're back after that tiny break. Um, we were talking about uh, representation and our choices. And Theo, you started touching on some of the content that you're you're using in your you know your space with your students. Is there is there anything else that you're consciously choosing? You think that is more about kind of representation for the young people in your space? 
Yeah, there's a couple of things. I think I think just for subjects, I've been at my current school for just over a year, and in doing so, I carried all these, so I thought fabulous themes of work that I have done before, um, and you know, swore blind by them, um, but soon, um, but soon that learned that they weren't as accessible as maybe I thought because the, the demographic is different. Um, so I, I went back to the drawing board and thought about some things that, m that might be a bit more relevant to students and still, you know, using, you know, the works of practitioners like Stanislavski and Brett um, in, in um, the work we do, but just almost masking it ever so slightly in terms of what I might call it or um, the type of activities you might do. So one of the things I look into um, covering, covering um, Brett's work is Noughts and Crosses by Mallory, okay. by Mallory okay. Blackman. Yeah. Yeah. I teach that at year nine and I also teach that in GCSE and that is the set text that we use and that sits alongside birds to be so there's there's that cultural capital there there's the understanding of the impact of what's relations there the impact of LGBTQ um, and, and present there um, and I find that it works well in terms of engaging students in the content and, and you know and in the theorized aspects of drama you know kind of deciphering those maybe really challenging uh, topics that they might have their own personal experience to play into. And, but then the whole academic thing, you know, taking that into practice and really exploring that in a theorized like nature. Okay, great. So you're making some real kind of conscious choices with the people that you invite in and the companies that you work with as well as, well as the text as well to, to be able to reflect um, the young people that you have in your space and, and the needs that they have to have their, their voices heard, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm just trying to be conscious about, you know, ensuring that what what is taught is accessible at some level. I mean, you know, I walked into the current school thinking, you know, I've done a Midsummer Night Stream before and I thought, yeah, that's great, got a great team of work on that. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Mm -hmm. No interest. Um uh, you know, so I had to go back to the drawing board and think about, you know, what would work. Mm. And obviously, we're we're often talking about eleven to sixteen as well, isn't there? So you're you're actually thinking about the appropriateness of of content as well, I suppose. So that also then makes it a little bit more tricky, doesn't it? Because I know when I was um, teaching in, you know, in Haringey and late in sixth form, um, I. I had a real diverse group and I was able to do work by, you know, Roy Williams and Bola Agbadje. And so I was able to do that and often hand it over. And I found that the students absolutely engaged with the language. And, you know, we'd, we'd have a great time in the space because they would often come up to me and say, oh, Wendy, this is how you say that. You're saying it wrong. You know, and, we, and I'd be like, I'm really sorry. I don't know. Go on, teach me. And so we had that relationship where, we were able to have those conversations and I was confident enough to do that. But um, but it was also an appropriate age level with the content because, you know, some of it you, you do have to be careful with, certainly if you're looking at key stage three, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And just ensuring that the, con the content is, is appropriate. Um, and I think Noughts and Crosses offers a really good medium Especially in the last couple of years, um, uh, you know, the, the whole sort of George Floyd movement was yeah. very much televised and would have, and would have, I think, resonated with them in some fashion, and they would have their own thoughts about it. I think exploring that and unpacking that in some really kind of insightful discussion 
and then taking that to the to the space and 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 begin to storytell and create and build i think has been has been really sort of um yeah, it's been wonderful to see it's been wonderful to see and i think uh, and it, it goes to show that when the, when the when the content when the work is appropriate and when it's still valued and engaged there's some really great space to create something quite quite magical yeah and i think um if you haven't looked yet do have a look at the roy williams radio place because i've started doing that with my teacher training group at the moment um and with the theater royal stratford east they in, in response to you know George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter movement. They got together a mass of global majority writers and actors and black British writers and created radio plays. And they are absolutely amazing. And there are some of them that you could actually do with Key Stage 4. Um, some of them would be for an older age group because of the content would be too, too hard hitting, if you like. For, for school but it's definitely um something that you should have a look at if you want to think about radio plays absolutely i've been thinking about exploring radio plays for the team of work next term actually so i actually will take you up with that mm, yeah do um and xena what about you what how have you chosen your curriculum in drama to kind of reflect the the diversity in your space it's interesting listening to Theo talking about how you have to adapt schemes of work to the children in front of you and how something in one school doesn't work in another school. It just, you know, it's so much a journey and it's um, one that I'm still on, I think. Uh, so I, um, so with a, a different hat on and for national drama, I've led some training on diversity and representation. So uh, with Carolyn Bradley and uh, a lady called Mezaid and um, oh yes, as well. So, so for me, it's about a, an approach to the work where everyone feels included, and it is, we're not just talking about identity as other, you know. So, um, uh, black and Asian children have a culture, but when you say to you know the white children, go well, I'm just normal, aren't I? You know, it, it's kind of segregating those views and being having a safe, confident way to talk about difference, to talk about prejudice, to to be kind when you call out bigotry, to sort of understand that no cultural group has a monopoly on being ignorant. You know, mm. we can all be racist and sexist. Um, I mean, you know, that the, the barristers organisation is uh, investigating our Home Secretary at the moment for treatment, for, for using language that they say is inflammatory. So it's interesting, isn't it? it? You know, and think about culture as fluid and being able to talk about who we are without feeling embarrassed or guilty or undermined or second class. So, you know, so, so we can use words about majority or bias or privilege or power. Um, without feeling uncomfortable you know when i taught at first park which, which was a, a school in a more underprivileged area and a very hugely diverse group of students um, in every possible way you know i would talk about um, characters and say this character is black or this character is from and they'd say miss you can't say that you can't say this character is white 
can't you say this character is white, this character is, um, or this actor is, or this writer is? And they would say, well, that's racist. I was like, well, it isn't racist to call me Asian of Sri Lankan background or ethnicity because that that's just, it's only when you start putting a value system on whether, mm. you know, so you have to sort of just look at things with some confidence. And I think that people can get very, very uncomfortable and it's very easy to um, not think adequately about how you as a teacher feel comfortable and then how the children will feel comfortable. Because if I'm talking about racism in a majority white school, I don't want all the white children there to feel guilty or like they're not included in this conversation or I've already made a decision about them, you know, or if I'm talking about sexism, I don't want all the boys to go and stick their heads in a bucket. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's feel like part of improvement and change and the argument and the conversation. Like we're all involved in prejudice and assumption and class and gender and religion. And it's all pretty juicy, isn't it? Mm. yeah yeah it's true we all have our unconscious bias as many of us will know we've engaged yeah. in training yeah, yeah. So it, in so our workplace about that so it's something about taking the heat out of it you know normalizing it educating discussing um and then with that in mind in my curriculum or in our curriculum it's not mine i've got two fabulous it's the first time i've really had two full-time drama colleagues who are so on it like it's amazing um, so we've got like a spiral curriculum we've obviously got um, key stage four in mind for many years Wendy I, I wasn't allowed to teach year nines so wow. that was difficult obviously in terms of key stage four um, but now we're allowed to teach year nine and for the first time now and I've got two colleagues who are inspirational so that's amazing um, but we've now got two year 10 groups, but you know, we, wow. we, we are allowed to teach year nine and it's just wonderful. Um, so we do a range of things, but, um, so we do do Midsummer Night's Dream, but I'm very, we all are, you know, when we're creating our PowerPoints and our slideshows, we try and put new productions on there. So you've got National Theatre View, you've got Peter Brooks one, you've got a Korean company doing, um, Midsummer Night's Dream, you've got, um, so they can see different interpretations and different representations. There is not, you know, they're not all, you know, um, they don't all look like they lived 400 years ago with tights and funny stockings. Yeah. Does that make, because that's kind of, you know, with ruffs around their necks. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not doing that. We're doing, we're doing um, promenade theatre and uh, that, you know, that sort of thing we've got a slide where there's um i can't remember the show it was but one of the flyers was this beautiful sort of forest cartoon and this sort of fairy but he's wearing a hoodie and he looks a bit cool and so there's you know there's change the way they think about it with your materials and yeah. then you know when they play i mean we don't do the whole play I only have them for a lesson a week and i have like seven lessons or something so we do like lifts and balances and story theater and and we, we kind of have a little bit of a look, we play with gender and I show them, you know, um, we do stage combat in year eight and like we look at 
Othello, but we also look at Shakespeare's. There was one at the Globe um, that was like an all-male Henry V. So we, okay. you know, we kind of try and bring contemporary theatre with people who are working now, you know, not, not just people who were in their 20s. I mean, like, I love Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I absolutely love it. But I don't want to meet all my artists to be of that, that mould. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. want them to talk about, you know, so we want to take our kids to see Frantic's Metamorphosis. And the adaptation is by Lem Sissy, you know. So nice. that's really exciting, isn't it? Like, what's I he going to do? I know it was by Lem Sissy. Wow, even more reason to see it. Yeah, so, you know, and then we do Layla's Room and we do a bit of DNA and they've just, Year 10s have done Refugee Boy. So we try and make sure that we, you know, like we do a bit of an audit, you know, I would really call on, you know, all our colleagues to gain, to grow in confidence, do some training. If, you, if, if talking about race and ethnicity makes you come out in a cold sweat, don't like go, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Just get some training. And, you know, there are practical things. So you just feel more confident. Because, yeah. you know, I think I, I was, you know, you know, when, when I was taught drama, you, you have to, that's kind of where we are, isn't it? As English and drama and, you know, teachers, we have to teach empathetically and we have to jump inside other experiences. So, you know, I played a mum when I did my GCSE and obviously I hadn't had the experience of having children, not obviously, but thankfully at that stage, you kind of have to do a bit of using your imagination and, you know, thinking about your bias and thinking about what your, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you don't, you know, you don't have to be a man to teach King Lear. And, no. And you don't, and you don't have to be, um, uh, you don't have to be global majority to teach, you know, Stephanie Street sisters. You know, you, you we we have to teach Roy Williams, and we and we teach Shakespeare, and we teach, you know, Matt Woodhead, and we teach, uh, you know, as as many as many playwrights as we can get in there, really. <laughs> and in I the think limited time we have. What's interesting that you've started touching on there is that you know that idea that you don't have to be of of the race or the background as the playwright so for example Roy Williams and I did do a lot of work you know of Roy Williams and and Bollard Badgey and I'm clear you know I'm a white person but I was in schools and colleges where the it was the majority um black African mixed yeah you know yeah. lots of males too so they they absolutely loved it and kind of lapped it up but then now I'm training teachers where you know predominantly in the room there are white faces not always but predominantly um and when we have those kinds of head-on conversations mm. about race mm. they are incredibly uncomfortable about how to bring mm. these inclusive texts and diverse yeah. texts into their new spaces and don't know how to start. They don't know how to start because they're so nervous about what if yeah. I say the wrong thing? What if I use the wrong phrase? What if I, you know, refer to yeah. someone as the wrong race? And I'm like, well, you have a conversation and you apologise. But that's my that's and, my and that's a bit like for, for me, um, you know, we... we that if you can't make mistakes in a drama studio, mm. what are you do? You know, 
and of course there is something about confidence and there is you know we don't we, we want to be good role models don't we but that isn't about leaving texts out because you're not the same you don't have the experience of the content or the writer or the playwright or the actors like you should be teaching who wrote hang debbie tucker debbie tucker green yeah thank you like or you know and also maybe there's something about looking at history you know so looking mm. back at winsome pinnock and um yeah uh oh not not no you know I, I can't remember what i'm talking about you know the there was a play she was 18 or 19 and she did it in a salford like she wrote it out of a um a working class estate in salford it's really famous mm. it's two hands about mother and a daughter and the daughter's more grown up than the mother. No. And, Ra and, and Lorraine, is it Hansbury, Raisins in the Sun? Right, okay. So there's something about the history as well. There's, you know, to, to, to be able to talk about these texts confidently, like what is your approach? So are you thinking about um, the differences between the characters, the playwright, the class in front of you, yourself? Have you sort of thought about potential assumptions? When are you actually looking at the text? You know, are you thinking about how mm. will I teach this text? Yeah. Are, are we thinking about this text as part of all of our culture? But you know, let's let's not make mainstream culture invisible or less interesting. Let's talk about this is part of you know Debbie Debbie Tucker Green is part of she's one of our most celebrated playwrights. Yeah, she is. you can't talk about Shakespeare and not talk about her. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if I can teach Shakespeare, who's, who's, you know, been dead a long time now, you know, I'm making up all sorts of assumptions. The poor man's mm. probably turning in his grave, the things I do to his texts. <laughs> Theo, do you have any thoughts on that? And if I was, you know, I've got my room full of training teachers who are desperate mm. to do this diverse work, but are, you know, where do I start? What do they, what do I start? They, they'll say to me, what, what might your response be to that? I know I realise that's a massive question to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I mean, <laughs> for, for me, it's really interesting because I've never really thought about it in great depth because I, I guess I just walk with a confidence that I know enough about myself to, to speak confidently about things that I see. If that yeah. makes sense, I don't know if you're following me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, I think it goes back to what Zena said. I think if, if, if you're a teacher, a drama teacher, and you're really struggling with these concepts, I think the first place is, is to go is, is to just stop and educate yourself. And there's so many yeah. good resources on, on, on YouTube, um, you know, about how to kind of approach these things. Um, and, I've, and I've sent someone to um, a colleague of mine who is a history teacher who, who is in a similar position struggling to kind of Talk about colonialism in a history context without being uncomfortable as someone who who is, is white British teaching that to. Uh, oh, you've gone a little bit quiet, Theo. Oh, can you hear me now? That's perfect. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Perfect. I'll just go back a little bit. Uh, I, I sent some some resources over to a um, white British history teacher who was struggling with. Uh, teaching or having confidence teaching colonial Britain to you know a room of largely uh, black Caribbean black uh, African students and I think I think just you know going going and educating yourself and and and, and leading with the confidence that you're not always going to get everything right and that's life and that's mm. okay but I think if you lead with the intention 
that you're you're going to give it a go anyway and if you offend hopefully not but if you do you know you're, you're going to apologize and you're going to re-educate yourself that's all part of life you know absolutely um, and, and i think that that apology is really yeah. important to be like i'm you know it's all right to say i'm sorry as teachers i don't think we say sorry enough and i think it's all right absolutely. to say i'm sorry yeah absolutely, absolutely. i mean and one yeah. of the things that we do is teach about stereotypes archetypes mm. they're key in stories aren't they yeah, yeah. So these big characters in commedia dell'arte and they're you know and, and uh, in greek myths and legends archetypes are really important yeah so to, to sort of deconstruct them a little bit i mean even year sevens you know if you give them the right language and tools can have a conversation about in you know why were they all the heroes male if these and these stories are thousands of years old so if you were doing it today how would you interpret that for this generation and it is it's that interrogation and questioning isn't it to yeah and you can have real fun with set it contexts as well i'm aware that we have like about a minute and a half left oh blimey apart. that's gone quick no time has just flown because there's so much rich stuff to talk about and and i really appreciate the two of you joining this evening and and just giving your perspective and sharing your your stories with us because you know it's really important to to hear what you have to say and that should be you know if we're asking those questions and we're having those conversations that's the place to start and it always has been for me anyway and I hope you know I probably get it wrong like the next person but I hope that having conversations like this that are really interesting and rich and important and and things that we're thinking about for, you know, the life of the young people in our rooms. This is this is where we should be starting. Anyway, that's, that's certainly what I think. But I do appreciate both of you joining us this evening and, and sharing your, your knowledge, your vast knowledge of your spaces and your young people and how you work with them. So thank you very much, Theo and Zena. Oh, it's a delight to be up. asked and thank you for having me and I'm not sure about expertise but Theo it's lovely to hear you talk and your passion and enthusiasm it's absolute <laughs> joy very kind and likewise I've got a couple of questions to ask you after the show actually so Amazing. Thank you. Hey, no problem sure we can but thank you both very much and go and enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening and appreciate everything you shared with us this evening thank you Wendy you're welcome thank, thank you, you. Wendy. all right bye Theo bye Bye. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening on Teachers Talk Radio. I hope you found that valuable and useful, and it's a way to start some discussions um, to move forwards with young people in your spaces and, and hear their voices. So I'm going to say good night and thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.